Welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Haley Wooden. I'm Tyler Orton. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Over the past few weeks on our radio show, we've been covering the BC Liberal Party leadership race, and we've been sharing some of those interviews on our podcast each Wednesday. So who do we have in this show coming up? Yeah, it's going to be Michael Lee, MLA here in Vancouver, as well as Vancouver MLA, Andrew Wilkinson. Why don't we start off with Michael Lee? We'll take a bit of a break and then come back after the break with Andrew Wilkinson. But first of all, yeah, uh, Kirk LaPointe, our co-host on the Business in Vancouver show on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. We got to chat with Michael Lee. He's a first-time MLA, but he's been a long-time uh, political actor, uh, advocate within the community as well. So it was a fascinating conversation that we had with Michael Lee. That's now. Thanks for joining us today at Roundhouse Radio 98.3. You're listening to Business in Vancouver. We're the daily business news program from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and the website, BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe. I'm Tyler Orton. As the BC Liberals prepare to pick their next leader in February, BIV is speaking with all the candidates in the race to gauge where they stand on the province's biggest issues. Joining us today is Michael Lee. He's the MLA for Vancouver Langara. Michael, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Well, thanks for having me on. Michael, um, you, you're brand new to provincial politics. Um, what made you feel at this stage that you could enter a race uh, for the actual leadership of the party being such a, a new face in the political sphere? Well, Kirk, thanks for that question. I've been involved in politics for over 30 years at uh, various levels. I uh, worked as a political staffer to Kim Campbell back in the day when she was the uh, Minister of Justice and uh, Went on to work on our leadership as well. Been involved in the community around uh, Metro Vancouver, uh, working with immigrant and uh, service organizations, uh, as well as children and youth organizations, and been involved with the business and legal career for the last 20 years. And I believe I can bring a new, fresh perspective and a new approach uh, to not only this party, but also our province. I think uh, we my- need to restore some balance. And, and Michael, you, well. yeah, yeah, you're obviously representing a, a city here that uh, is facing a lot of issues when it comes to affordability. We had the previous Liberal government; they brought in measures such as the foreign buyers tax. What kind of approach do you want to take as a leader when it comes to this this issue? Well, I uh, recognize the issue around affordability. My children are now uh, 25, 23, and 19, all living in Vancouver. My daughter first. Uh, I moved into a place uh, about a month ago, a 454-square-foot uh, place that she managed to save up some money on to get into. Uh, my son's still living at home, and he's working in a startup technology company, saving up his funds as well. And I know that uh, besides our people, land is our most precious resource here. We need to, need to find ways to increase the supply that we have in this region, including working with municipalities to get through that uh, long period of bringing product to the market, uh, work on densifying our transit lines. I have a canal line running right through the heart of my riding of Vancouver Langara and uh, know that uh, we need to, when we put in public taxpayer dollars to invest in a community, we need to do that jointly uh, with municipalities to ensure that we're getting the right mix of housing. And uh, over the last couple of years, of course, there's been about 24 different developments, uh, all two, three story luxury condos being built in that area and now of course the city of vancouver is addressing that the need for more family and rental housing with a additional 11,500 units so those are the kinds of things that i think we should be looking at uh, looking at working with developers to fund more transit infrastructure build uh, because we should be looking at transit and housing 
on a regional strategy basis uh, together. When you um, participated in this campaign directly, uh, Michael, in, in the recent election, and you saw that the province had had such good economic numbers for so many years, uh, certainly compared to the rest of the country, and yet uh, the Liberals weren't able to somehow catalyze that into another term. What do you think went wrong there in this campaign? Why, why weren't the Liberals successful in staying the course and, and staying in power? I think that our, our message became too narrow. The BC Liberals became known for jobs and the economy, a strong economy that is, balanced budgets, AAA credit ratings. These things are all very important. Uh, certainly, I'm a fiscal conservative uh, person as well, but I believe that we need to balance the message more. Uh, and that is the case in terms of the other parties being known in the last election to care uh, about all everything else in terms of the environment, healthcare, education, housing, social programs. These are the kinds of things that I believe this BC Liberal Party can address. We're the one party that can find that right balance. And we also need to change the narrative that the NDP and others have put us into, which is uh, making false choices between the environment and the economy. I believe we can build a strong economy while lowering our carbon footprint and stewarding our environment as well. Does that mean that you think that the party ought to have um, perhaps uh, relieved um, some people of some of their social stress by spending a bit more on, on programming like that? Yes, as as uh, has been reported, of course, uh, the BC Liberal government ended up with a $2.7 billion surplus yeah. to the election. There was uh, certainly additional funds that could have been available, that could have been deployed. Uh, you know, the, the BC Liberals have been very strong on uh, some programs like the Single Parent Employment Initiative being a hand up, helping people get off social assistance by helping them find employment, uh, by giving them funding to do that. We need more programs like that. And certainly in terms of increasing welfare rates, uh, that, that should have been addressed. Uh, and I believe that uh, a more balanced, caring uh, BC Liberal government and party uh, ought to be addressing that. You brought up the fact that there needs to be kind of this regional strategy when it comes to transportation. We've seen a lot of dysfunction going on within uh, TransLink, and maybe there hasn't been the greatest relationship between that body as well as the province. What do you want to do to address the transportation issues going on in the region? I think governments are elected to lead, and uh, it was a mistake to send that to a referendum some years ago. It, it was a complex planning mechanism for the region. And we need to work together uh, at all three levels of government to build the kind of infrastructure we need in this region. And that means having a more collaborative uh, working relationship with municipalities, working through their 10-year transportation plan, of course, which deals with some of the components of what we need here. But we need to look at ourselves as well in terms of the port infrastructure, the kind of important uh, seeing our roadways and highways as being uh, transportation links to move our goods to market as well. Well, it also brings up questions maybe about, say, some of the campaign promises that were made. We're getting rid of, well, we've already gotten rid of bridge tolls on, say, the Portman, as well as the Golden Ears. What do you make of, say, the potential of mobility pricing in the future here? I think we need to look at mobility pricing in the context of, uh, of our overall finances in the province um, and municipally as well. Um, I see road pricing as another form of uh, tax, and we need to continue to ensure that we have a means to 
have affordability in this region, just as we want to continue to attract uh, talent to this region and ensure that our young people have opportunity to live in this region. Uh, we know, of course, that they're struggling and, and we need to ensure that we have a low tax competitive environment. Uh, so I think that uh, obviously the Mobility Pricing Commission is going through their consultations. It'll be interesting to see what they come up with, but I'm very mindful of uh, how we need to continue to address affordability and, and keeping taxes low any form. Um, in this region for this problem. Michael Lee is our guest. He's the MLA for Vancouver Langara. He's also a candidate in the provincial liberal leadership, uh, the vote that takes place uh, first weekend in February. Um, Michael, you would be very well known in this city. Uh, people know you here. You've worked in the community for decades. Um, and uh, but, but you would have, obviously, uh, a profile to raise once you get outside of the lower mainland and into the wider province. What are you learning about um, the needs of those in other cities, other communities uh, in, in parts of the province, and maybe how they might differ a little bit from those here in Vancouver? Well, I, I come at this um, from, uh, as I mentioned, uh, working in business illegal for 20 years as well. And, and I've worked with resource companies all over this province, forestry, mining, energy, and technology companies too. And, you know, I, I get the fact that uh, Metro Vancouver has other organizations like my law firm of 300 employees whose families depend upon uh, the strong resource base of our economy here. Um, I believe that uh, we need to do responsible resource development in this province. That's what we do best. We meet the, some of the highest environmental and safety standards in the world, and uh, we need a leader and a party that can embrace that. It's not just about job creation. It's about how do we develop our economy in the regions, and, you know, I think that, for example, areas around healthcare, care, uh, getting access to primary care, family physicians, uh, being concerned about uh, being able to age in your communities, having that kind of infrastructure in terms of uh, whether it's residential care or other assisted living facilities. These are the kinds of same issues I see uh, here in this region, but also up north and in the interior. Uh, we need to build more capacity. We need more people to come to our province and more uh, investment in our province as well so we, we can build out those regions and also diversify our economy. Do you think that there is maybe a bit of a gap between what's going on in urban BC and what's going on in rural British Columbia? How do we kind of uh, bridge some of the divides that are going on between these regions, especially when it comes to the economy or just where people feel that they are being taken care of by the government? We've been through a very polarized uh, time, and uh, that may be the nature of BC politics, uh, certainly in a two-party system, and now with the Green Party, of course, as a third party. We need to find more balance uh, as to how we address the, the important issues that affect this province. And I believe that we, as a province, continue to make a lot of uh, divisive-type choices. Uh, I, for example, uh, the build-out of Site C, uh, is to complete uh, the vision of WAC Bennett to have uh, clean, reliable power for generations to come, but also to look at that as how do we continue to transition to a lower carbon footprint uh, with the adoption of more electric vehicles and electric, electric transportation, buses, for example, uh, being you know causing a third of our carbon emissions. I have an electric vehicle now myself. I know that we in this region are very concerned about our environment, as is the rest of this province. 
So I think we are getting ourselves into a lot of false choices here where we can find ways to continue to embrace the resource sector, for example, uh, because copper is going to be needed for those electric vehicles. And BC is uh, the largest producer of copper in the country, uh, for example. And what better place to do uh, that resource development than here in this province? One of the uh, issues that clearly binds um, your opposition politically, the uh, the NDP and the Greens, is the quest for some kind of proportional representation uh, come next election. Uh, what what framework do you wish to see with this, Michael? Do you do you support the principle of this, or do you think that it is um, it's taking us down the wrong road? The latter. I, I I'm not in support of uh, proportional representation. Uh, certainly, the system that uh, the NDP Green uh, look like they're proposing, a mixed-member system, would have uh, fewer members in the legislature being directly accountable uh, to their constituencies because we will have um, a more geographic region to spread, larger ridings, uh, but fewer members. The other, you know, might get into a situation where half the members might be selected by directly by constituents. Uh, voters, uh, the other half will be off party lists to rebalance to get to 16 or 17 percent, for example, for the Greens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we need more consensus in this province. We don't need a situation where we continually have minority governments uh, where the balance of power might be in terms of the House, as, as it's currently the case with three main members. We also need to encourage. Uh, a situation where we have strong governments, strong majority governments that have a strong mandate from our electorate and not ones that are perhaps more open to the divisive fringe parties that might come about. Because I know that BC is very concerned about a lot of different issues. Uh, And if we give more separate votes to that, we will not have strong, stable government, the kind of government we need to move forward this province. But is there a way that we could address maybe the gaps that exist? You, you brought up the fact that the Greens had about 15, 16% of the votes, yet they're just representing three seats in the legislature right now. Is there any adjustments that you could see being made in the future, or would you rather keep the system just as it is? I think that uh, there's still an opportunity, of course, uh, for the Green Party to have a voice. And I, and I would argue that they have a, a very strong voice right now. They hold the balance of power. Uh, in a minority government situation, and that's a case where one party is not able to establish a broad mandate. And the BC Liberals, of course, did not do that, not in the way that I think they can. So I think that a strong BC Liberal Party, or even a strong NDP government, for example, could find that mandate. Uh, But I do believe that um, that's where you get, to get the broader mandate, you you need to appeal and deal with uh, issues more in balance. And that's what each of these parties need to do. Michael, what needs to be the approach when it comes to cannabis in this province? We haven't heard many details from the province at this point. What would a liberal government under your leadership be doing? Well, given the legalization of marijuana took place in the last federal election under the current uh, federal liberal government, uh, it's up to the provinces to work with the federal government uh, in terms of the implementation of it, in terms of uh, what age uh, young people have access to marijuana, how it will be distributed as well, and how we will ensure public safety, uh, whether on the roads or, or elsewhere. Uh, these are the kinds of issues which uh, I believe we need to be quite strong and responsible on and ensure that uh, the tax dollars that we would receive as our share 
uh, would go towards uh, ensuring that we have public safety here and that we have uh, towards other education programs regarding drug use. Uh, so I think we need to be very careful and cautious about how this is implemented. And I believe that the uh, federal government and the current NDP government are, don't really have it all figured out just yet. Yeah. And this is a bit of a concern for sure. You're a, a public official by profession today, but of course you are a lawyer by profession. Uh, uh, do you see any issues involving administration of justice that concern you as we move toward legalization? Well, you know, I think that um, it's an important consideration uh, as to how we as a communities uh, respect the laws of our country. And I know that um, various municipalities are trying to um, impose certain bylaws on uh, distribution of marijuana product. Uh, we need greater enforcement to ensure that uh, whether it's those bylaws or uh, uh, restrictions and regulations imposed by the provincial government on distribution and access that those are fully enforced. Uh, so I think you know I, the whole premise of legalizing marijuana, if it is to get it off the great market, we need to have a strong regime uh, to ensure that uh, uh, we can have the right kind of access in a careful and prudent way um, in this new system to come. Well, Michael, I want to thank you for joining us on the program today. Well, thank you for your time. Appreciate being on. That's Michael Lee, MLA for Vancouver Langara, and you're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. I'm Tyler Orton. And I'm Kirk LaPointe. Stay with us here at Roundhouse Radio 98.3. That was Vancouver Langara MLA Michael Lee. He's running for the leadership of the BC Liberals. Uh, Haley, you also had the chance to speak to Andrew Wilkinson, who's also seeking the BC leadership post. Too. That's right. And also representing a riding in Vancouver. So we'll feature that interview right after this short break. This podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax, and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, and if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600. That's 604-714-3600. Or you can check them out online at their website, Manning Elliott. Now we're going to feature an interview we did on our BIV on Roundhouse radio show with Andrew Wilkinson, second term MLA for Vancouver Quilchena. He's also served in several cabinet positions, including as Minister of Advanced Education and Minister of Technology, Innovation and Citizen Services. Kirk LaPointe, again, co-hosting on this segment. Have a listen. Welcome back to the program. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. We're the daily business program from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and the website, BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe. I'm Haley Wooden. As the BC Liberals prepare to pick their next party leader in February, BIV is speaking with all candidates to gauge where they stand on the province's biggest issues. Joining us in studio today is Andrew Wilkinson, MLA, in his second term for Vancouver Kilkenna. He's also served in several cabinet positions, including as Minister of Advanced Education and Minister for Technology, Innovation and Citizen Services. Thank you very much for joining us in studio today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Tell us first off why you're running and what you think you'll bring to the leadership of the party. Well, it's interesting you asked that right off the gate because when this prospect arose in the first uh, few days of August, talking to friends and family, a couple of the really insightful people said, you got to have 
a purpose to do this. You don't just do it to get the job. You have to have be able to answer the question why. And that took a few days to actually pin it down, but intuitively it was always there for me. That my family arrived here when I was four years old as immigrants. We had enough money to get by, but we weren't rich by any measure. We had no other family anywhere in the Americas. We're totally isolated. And British Columbia and Canada were very good to us. And so to me, it's about that world of opportunity. It's making sure that the oncoming generation, including my kids who are between 19 and 23, have that same sense of optimism and opportunity that I had growing up. It was kind of assumed that you could get a reasonably priced higher education that would give you the skills you needed to get ahead. And, you know, it was bumpy through your 20s, but... Um, Nonetheless, there was the chance of finding a great way to live right here in BC. And to me, that's critical. Let's talk about the, those bumpy 20s because uh, I think a lot of people would, would uh, perceive you as a, a man of Vancouver. But in fact, you're really not. You're, no. You're, it's... <laughs> you're, you know, you're a person who uh, you spent a lot of your early, your early career years um, in parts of the province where there is struggle. And you probably had to learn a lot from that. Yeah, you know, I grew up in Kamloops. And as I said, we didn't have a lot of cash by any measure. And then ended up, because my dad's job got moved to Alberta, ended up at the University of Alberta, went to medical school there, and got my final medical training here in Vancouver because I always wanted to get back to BC. And uh, worked then in Dees Lake, Campbell River, Lillooet. You know, I've lived all over the province, paid off my student loans, made my way eventually to Vancouver. So I'm fortunate to be able to say I've lived and worked all over BC, and that's part of my thesis is uh, seeking leadership is that I actually understand life all over BC. I've been there and I've lived it. We've seen certainly a political separation or divide between rural BC and urban BC. How do you think that gets reconciled and how could the Liberal Party do that? There are a number of kind of artificial issues that uh, are dressed up as dividing rural and urban BC. To me, the core issue everywhere becomes affordability. In the interior, there's a lot of concern about the forest industry having to take a downturn because of the decline in available wood. And so affordability in the interior, certainly in the caribou and through the Prince George area, means am I going to have a job in three years or five years? And in greater Vancouver, of course, affordability surrounds the cost of housing. And to me, that's a combination of housing and transit that need to get addressed. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't ask you to breach uh, cabinet uh, conversations, but I wonder what it is that you've learned even on the campaign trail this time that suggests uh, what went wrong for the BC Liberals in the campaign. Oh, and, there's, and, there's no cabinet secret there. You know, I've been saying for months now that uh, our party in the election campaign was preaching at people from 30,000 feet about credit ratings and debt to GDP ratios and how fortunate they are. And the NDP were in their living rooms, especially between the borders of Vancouver and, the, and Mission in those eastern suburbs saying, we'll give you free bridge tolls and save you $1,500 a year. We'll give you cheap childcare, which they've failed to do. We'll give you $400 a year if you're renting, which they've failed to do. So the NDP were very much at a retail level and we missed that completely. So were there um, goodies, baubles, trinkets that um, the Liberal Party should have been offering in that campaign that would have made the difference? In retrospect, all of us are disappointed that a $2.7 billion surplus was left on the table. 
and with a crying need for school construction in places like Coquitlam and Surrey, that should have been addressed out of that surplus. Hmm. The previous BC Liberal government obviously brought on a number of measures to address, say, affordability in Metro Vancouver, specifically around housing. Is there anything specifically you would like to see brought about in the years ahead, should you be leader and potentially premier of BC? There's the opportunity in Metro Vancouver to address the housing issues, the combination of transit and housing. Transit expands the the diameter of the livable city. It means that you measure your time to work in minutes rather than by hours or by uh, distance commuting in a car. And so you just have to look at any developed city in the world. And what they've done is plan transit around where people are going to live and how they're going to get to work. And we need to do a lot more of that. So we've got a long, long-term plan of where we're going and what the city's going to look like with another million people added to it. You have to remember, when I moved here as a kid, there were 1.6 million people in BC. They're now 4.7. That's not going to stop. So we need to anticipate that. And on the housing side of things, we've got to work in a very kind of thoughtful and forward-looking way with municipalities about how to speed up approval times to make sure that the supply of housing is coming on. There's going to have to be more density in the cities. Uh, That's quite obvious, and that's been slow to come. Why do you think um, there haven't been these conversations, though, in this community? Is it just that it's politically difficult to tell people? Well, they're a combination of things. There's the traditional British Columbia tension between right and left, where any uh, subject that gives friction is used for political purposes. And I think there's a big problem in Metro Vancouver with that. Ironically, some of the cities that are, are the most noisy have done the best in terms of housing development, like Burnaby. And others that, uh, like Vancouver, I think could have done a lot better job in terms of using things like the candle line. Where's the construction around Oak Ridge? It's been operating for eight years, and we still don't see any increase in density at Oak Ridge. One of the concerns we've heard on our show relates to securing talent for the tech industry, as well as scaling companies up and finding political and funding support for the growth of companies, specifically in the technology sector. You're a minister overseeing technology for a period of time. Do you have a strategy around how to better scale companies here in BC? Yeah, this is a fairly long story, but the guts of it is that the tech sector depends on a few things, talent, ideas, capital, and markets. On the talent side, we do pretty well in generating people out of general university and, and, and technology programs who are suitable for employment. And we can see that from the multinationals coming here to hire these people. Where we do less well is on available capital for investment in these companies because, as we know, the rich investors tend to be in the USA. There's some uh, local capital starting to form and to invest in these companies, which is a very good thing because the idea in venture capital is it's got to be in the same area code so Mm -hmm. you can walk down the street and see what's going on, not from 5,000 miles away or else the company tends to go where the capital is. And lastly, in markets, you know, we can do a much better job of uh, the provincial government, for instance, saying through health authorities, we got a problem, anybody get ideas about how to fix it, rather than saying, we're going to buy a particular software uh, package and who can give us the best price. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Looming for this uh, community uh, is, is a kind of a reformation of uh, the structure of taxation and fees around transportation, mm-hmm. um, you know, mobility pricing of some sort coming in. Do you have a bit of a vision of where you think this ought to net out, what the, what the balancing forces ought to be here as, as they move toward this? 
Yeah, this is a tough topic, and we all know that the Mayor's Council has been grappling with this because the NDP took the tolls off all the bridges, so TransLink doesn't have the revenue anymore to do things like the Patello Bridge replacement. Where's the money going to come from? And so if there aren't going to be tolls, and I would challenge anybody to say they're going back to tolls because that will not be popular, so somebody's got to pay for all this stuff. And that's been done traditionally with gasoline taxes and with uh, transit user fees and the like. We're not going to lose the the tax on gasoline, though. No, in order no, to, no. Yeah, right. And so the issue then becomes, if you want to build out the transit system, where is it going to come from? And there's now a mayor's council looking at mobility pricing, and I think it's probably wise for all of us to wait and see what they have to say. It's going to be very contentious because if you drive from West Vancouver to Langley and back to uh, go and work and run your business – you may not be that thrilled on the idea of mobility pricing, whereas someone like me who drives seven kilometers to work or gets uh, the candle line, I say, oh, go ahead. Someone else will pay. Yeah. So there's always the worry that uh, people are looking out for their own interest in that topic. Yeah. The other, era, of course, area that I think we've talked about a lot on this program with the candidates has to do with proportional representation. Um, you know, I've heard a great deal of criticism from the liberals about uh, about so-called PR. Uh, where do you think the flaws are so far that you're seeing in the plan that the NDP and the Greens are beginning to propose and shape up? There are many, many flaws with what they're doing. First of all, and how they're going about it, they've just rammed through legislation saying a 50% plus one vote will do it. It'll be a mail-in ballot. They have no basis for doing that other than tactical advantage for themselves and the Greens. This is clearly a way to mollify and keep happy the Green Party because they need the Greens to stay in power. So the Greens are getting whatever they want. That is a microcosm of how proportional representation will end up working and that it ends up splintering the political landscape, be it lots of little parties. It happens everywhere where PR is put in. And the little parties control the agenda. So in New Zealand, they've just formed a government And it's interesting there, they have the same population as BC, 120 seats in their national government, 48 of them are chosen off party lists. Nobody voted for those people directly. They voted for a party and suddenly someone pops out of the blue as your representative. So what happened in New Zealand is a tiny little party that's fiercely opposed to immigration holds the balance of power. So they effectively chose the prime minister, who's a 38-year-old who kind of popped out of nowhere. And that person was effectively chosen by the anti-immigration party. And we see this in places like Israel, where there's an Orthodox Jewish party that has controlled the balance of power for about 20 years. And their only issue is to exempt themselves from military service, which everybody else does till age 50, and to get a special enclave in Jerusalem and get their own educational system. They don't care about the rest of the agenda. So what do you think the BC version of that might be? Well, BC's subject to fractionation. Let's not forget that. I mean, the reason the federal government decided not to pursue proportional representation is they realized that it would immediately give life to the Quebec separatists. There'd be a Newfoundland party, there'd be an Alberta party, and they would hold the balance of power and become very regionally um, centered so that they're only after their own regional agenda and forget the the benefits to Canada. The same thing is possible in British Columbia with parties based on ethnic lines, on religious lines, on regional lines. I mean, the Peace River country has been talking for decades about how they'd actually be better off in Alberta. (laughs) And we don't need that fractionation. This is a big, complicated place. And the job of the political parties, the NDP and the Liberals, is to provide that broad appeal that keeps everybody together. Once you get PR, though, Can you put the genie back in the bottle? 
That's very difficult to say. There have been some countries that have flopped back and forth between PR and the, the normal system that we operate under now. But I'm a big fan of first-past-the-post voting like we've had now. We've had a democracy in this country that's worked for 150 years. British Columbia's worked for 146 years. So tell me what problem you're trying to solve by just tearing apart the fabric of our democracy and changing the system in a way that only helps the Green Party. Why are we doing this to help make the Greens happy? We're speaking to Andrew Wilkinson. He is MLA for Vancouver Kilkenna and, of course, a BC Liberal Party leadership candidate. Under the Liberal Party, BC has led the country in terms of growth and strong economic outlook and standing. It looks, though, as though there might be a bit of a slowdown in the years ahead. What type of strategy does that require on the part of government? Well, I think what we've seen is the financial statements from the government came out a few days ago. And the growth of British Columbia is continuing. We still have very low unemployment. But lo and behold, within months of the NDP taking office, there's been a major drop in tax revenue. Because what's happening, of course, is investors are holding back. They're saying, we're not sure what the behavior of these people is going to be. So they're slowing down their plans. And we see this and hear this all over the province. And it's not just the project-based things like the Kinder Morgan Pipeline and Site C and the LNG project. It's a generalized caution. And that's exactly what happened in the 1990s under the NDP that investors said they're not sure what these folks are going to do. So just slow down and back off. So what are the signals that the NDP government have to make uh, to the economy in the months ahead, particularly as it leads up to the first major budget it's going to have in February? I think the concern is that the NDP have shown a tendency to be willing to raise taxes. They've already done that for higher income earners on the carbon tax and on corporate tax. That's not very visible to the general public. But the NDP love to spend money on their pet projects. And sadly, they like to pay people more money to do the same work or less in the public sector. This is a problem because we've had labor peace in this province for over a decade now by having reasonable settlements in labor negotiations. If the NDP get generous with public sector workers, then somebody has to pay for that. And that means going into deficit, which yeah. is the path to oblivion. At her, you know, at her recent speech at the Board of Trade, the finance minister did kind of add that to the pile of potential headwinds for the economy, which is a fairly substantial public sector labor agreement in 2019. Exactly. And so our government under the BC Liberals took a very prudent approach and came to negotiate settlements in almost every sector except with teachers. And so the net effect has been we get good public services at an affordable price. That's what we all want. And so to have a party like the NDP who are basically totally under the sway of the labor unions means that we've got to be careful about who's going to benefit from an NDP government. If the economy starts to slow or stall or even shrink, and these public sector workers are being paid more than they would uh, otherwise be warranted in being paying, then we've got a big problem. And it's hard to get out of that because you you get locked into labor agreements that go on for three or five years, and you're stuck with fixed costs. Do you think BC's reputation as a place to invest has been impacted over the last little while? And that could be either from a resource development perspective or just generally when it comes to things like taxation. Yeah, there's an attitude problem in Victoria right now. And regardless of what you think about fish farming, there was a letter sent about a month ago from the Minister of Agriculture to a fish farming operation. She's not responsible for fish farming. It's actually a different ministry. But she sent them a letter basically saying, you're compliant with all of the laws, you're compliant with all the regulations, 
but you better look out because your license is up for renewal. This is a, just an open threat to them. Hmm. And so the NDP don't have the expertise or the experience in life to realize that letter gets sent back to their banker. The banker says, whoa, forget that. We're going to cut off your line of credit. And by the way, your assets are being written down because it looks like the NDP are going to pull the plug. And this has a huge chilling effect on investors. You know, I've been a downtown lawyer. News like that passes around law firms like wildfire because the clientele have to be told that there's a lot of risk and uncertainty with an NDP government. And the NDP don't get that. They think they're kind of showboating and grandstanding for their friends in the special interest groups. It actually has a completely destructive effect on investor confidence. Mr. Wilkinson, I want to thank you very much for joining us on the program today to share your insights and discuss your campaign policies. Good. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. That's Andrew Wilkinson, MLA for Vancouver, Kilkenna, and a BC Liberal Party leadership candidate. And that was our interview with Andrew Wilkinson, MLA for Vancouver, Quilchenna. That wraps it. We did six interviews with the Liberal Party leadership candidates. Uh, we'll see how the race shakes out. We're looking at February for when the decision will be made. I think it's Super Bowl Sunday. The decision's going to be made. For it, the, it's going to be a big race. win for at least one of them, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah, we'll wait and see. Anyway, that's it for our podcast today. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Now, Tyler, if people want to connect with you and get more business news, where do they go? You can find my stories at BIV.com or else find me on social media. I'm at Reporton. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. I think Twitter is probably the best way to find me there. Haley, what about yourself? Same for me. Twitter is the best way to connect. My handle at Haley Wooden. So please feel free to say hi or check us out at BIV.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next time. <laughs>